0: Well, good morning. good morning. Good morning. This morning we're going to uh, be looking at uh, chapter two, verses twenty-eight through chapter three, verses verse three. Um, as as we come to the text this morning, uh, John is uh, wrapping up. Uh, this is kind of an interesting interesting section. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of uh, different commentators take this section different ways. I chose to do it this way, but I don't guess there's no right or wrong way. Verse twenty-eight. In reality, concludes chapter two. Verse twenty-nine introduces chapter three. I guess the monk who put the numbers in just decided <laughs> put one one where he did, or put chapter three one where he did. So, but it kind of is a cohesive, a, a cohesive thought in these two as it transitions. So just uh, kind of keep that in mind when you look at it. He's, he's making a transition here from one, th- one thought to another thought. He's, he's moving from talking about uh, uh, our anointing in Christ, which, which we are therefore to abide in Him. And then he's going to move into chapter 28. And the first thing he's going to say, abide in Him because you're children of God. That's going to be the, the the next the next thought. So it it, make, it makes a it makes really kind of a smooth transition, and that's really really what he's doing when he gets into this text. So just kind of know that when we when we get here, because you you may pick up one commentary and they ended at verse twenty eight, some ended at verse twenty nine, and most ended at verse twenty seven. So I went with the majority, but anyway, or anyway, the majority of the commentators I had. So anyhow, that's that's uh, that's that. Uh, that's what we did. So, anyway, are there any prayer requests before we get going this morning? So, as we come then to uh, chapter 2, verse 28, uh, it reads, "...and now, little children, abide in Him, so that when He is manifest, we may have confidence and not shrink away from Him in shame at His coming. If you know that He is righteous, you know that everyone also who does righteousness has been born of Him." So, As I said, we're moving into a section where one chapter is being closed and we're going to change topics. Uh, The previous topic has been that of abiding in Christ because of the anointing of the Holy Spirit, who is our teacher, our guide, our, our helper. And now he is moving to abiding in Christ because we are the children of God. That's really kind of the flow that is going on here in these verses. Now, one of the other things that you kind of have to keep as a backdrop, one of the things he talked about in chapter 2 is recognizing false believers. That's one of the things. Those people who profess but do not possess. Those people who may be in the church usually wind up leaving it, going away in some manner, uh, depart from the faith somehow. He's got that theme running here as well. That's what he's talking that's what he's going to be talking about um, as he closes out. As he as he closes out verse 28 about being ashamed uh, that that's kind of the, the the thrust of where he's going here he's, he's finishing one and moving on to the next the now is a word that sets the stage it tells us now I'm coming to an end on this and moving on to something else that's that's really what this this word indicates and then he goes and it's and now uh, literally but at any rate he goes on and he says little children his typical pastoral greeting to the believers in in the uh, in the, in these churches. Uh, this is the way the elderly statesman, if you will, uh, thinks of him. This is the last living apostle, the apostle John, <clears throat> and he's probably older than anybody else in the church. So they're all children to him. But nevertheless, he's he's basically saying he's basically this is the way he sees them. He sees them as spiritual children's children which he has. Guardianship over, in a sense, and 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 he relates to them that way, and he re, and he addresses them that way. It expresses a deep emotional feeling for them, and 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 uh, uh, and he wants them to know that. And of course, that's what you want from those who shepherd the flock. They, there needs to be a close emotional attachment, if you will. And John has one of those. And then I, then he moves on, and he says, "Now, little children, abide in Him." The same thought he had in the previous verse. He closed the previous verse, he brings it up again here. Abide in Him. Uh, It means to, we've talked about this word a couple of times, it means to, to stay, to remain. It has the concept of being at home. That's the idea. Abiding in Christ, that's where we belong. That's what, that's what he's saying here. This is the place we should feel most comfortable, most safe, most secure. It's home. That's, that's the idea uh, that's being expressed in, in abiding in him. This is a favorite word of John's. Uh, in fact, just in chapter 15 of the Gospel of John, he uses this word 12 times. Uh, this is a favorite word of his uh, he wants believers to understand that that our home is with our christ that's 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 the idea uh, that he's he's wanting them to understand here <coughs> excuse me Uh, In this case, the abiding in the other case, was to abide in the teaching of the Holy Spirit, the leading and guiding of the anointing that the Holy Spirit provides to each and every one of us. In this case, he now has a little bit different, different, different focus. His focus here is abiding in Christ, looking for His return. That's the idea here. For Him coming to call us home. Literally is the idea uh, that he's he's express that he's expressing here. He says for the, the purpose of of his his his, uh, his coming, he says so that when he is manifest, the NASB and I think many of the other translations use the word appearing here, uh, and and that's that's the idea. When Christ comes, uh, that's that's what he's wanting us to to uh, to, to understand here. In in chapter twenty two. Uh, or excuse me, chapter 22. In chapter 2, verse 19, he wrote, and and the use of this same word, uh, he says, And they went out from us that they were not really really of us, for if they had been with us, they would have remained with us, but they went out, so it would be manifest that they were not of us, in other words, this is the reality of seeing someone for who they are, that's the idea here, in that case, it was the, it was the false believer, in this case, it's the glorified Christ. Uh, that's what he's. That's what he's calling our attention to. It spoke of, of his appearing to believers, um, and and and, and, the, and the idea here is is that uh, these antichrists they left because they weren't believers, but these are real. These are people are real, and 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 what he's wanting, and and he's he's going to give two. There's two complementary truths that flow through Scripture out of this, and and one is that true Christians will preserve in their faith. That's the first thing he wants us to know. That's what He's talked about in the pre at the, in part of the previous chapter and chapter twenty two is preserving in faith uh, that false believers will depart, but true believers stay loyal. That's that's the idea, and then then he's going to he's going on to say, but God keeps them eternally secure. That's the other thing John wants him to realize that true believers are eternally secure. That's that's an important uh, idea here. It's. You don't keep yourself secure; God does. That's that's the idea. Uh, John chapter ten. There it is. Too many tabs today. Uh, John ta- John chapter ten 27 through, uh, through twenty seven through through 29 but you do not believe because you are not of my sheep my sheep hear my voice and and I know them and they follow me and I give them and I give eternal life to them and they will never per- perish ever and no one will snatch them out of my hand my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to to snatch them out of my father's hand and then he goes on with his with his uh with his uh with his claim of deity, and he says, "I and the Father are one." And like I said, I think a couple of weeks ago, if any Jehovah Witness tells you nowhere does it say that Christ is God, take him to that verse, because look what the next verse says: the Jews picked up stones to kill him because he declared himself equal to God. Uh, that's 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 what happens there. Romans eight thirty eight through thirty nine, uh, Jude chapter. Or, no, there's no chapters in Jude, but Jude verses. Uh, 20 and 21. But you, beloved, building yourself up in the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. That's what he's calling them to here. Uh, understanding that in this life we're waiting for his manifestation, we're waiting for him to come. Uh, Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 verse verses... 12 and 13, uh, 12 and 13. Mm -hmm. He says, So then, my beloved, just as you always have obeyed, not as in my presence only, but much more uh, in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And here's the key to how you work out your your own salvation. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to do and to work for his good pleasure. That's that's, that's the point here. That's what John is wanting them to understand. That's what he's going to call them to in this. He's, he's, he's He's telling them here, he says, My little children, abide in him, so that when he is manifest, when he comes, when he appears, you may have confidence. That's the next thing he says. That you would have Confidence, um, And I think the appearing here is pointing to the rapture. It's obviously not the second coming, because this is talking uh, the, the word uh, manifest or appear is a word that speaks of suddenness. It doesn't speak of a process. It doesn't speak of a period of time. It talks of something that is instant. It happens all of a sudden. And that's what the rapture does. Uh, the second coming has uh, the whole world sees that coming, and it takes a little while for it to happen. Plus, there's a whole bunch of events that happen before it. It's a process, so it's not the second coming. It's the rapture he has in view here, uh, the calling home of believers of the Church of Jesus Christ. That's what's in view here, and and it's a suddenness. And he says, he says, and at that point, at that suddenness, at that moment. Of Christ appearing, you would have confidence. This is an interesting word. Uh, it means to be outspoken. Uh, it, it speaks of outspokenness. It 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 means it means freedom of speech. That, that's the idea here. Uh, basically, what are you saying to us here? Uh, it's 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 talking about being bold to come before God and speak to Him. That's what He's saying. That we have the confidence. To speak to our God, to openly speak to God. That's, that's the idea that he wants them to understand. In 321, uh, he writes Beloved, if your heart does not contem- uh, condemn you, we have confidence before God. That's the idea here. Uh, abiding in Christ here is having confidence that we can speak to God boldness in our approach uh, Hebrews 4:16 and Hebrews 10:19 both talk about having boldness to come before the throne of grace boldness to become before our God it's the same idea uh, it's the the ability to come and speak to God to come into his presence that's that's what he's that's what he's talking about here that we would have confidence that we would have confidence he says little children abide in him so that when he comes you can have confidence in his presence that, that's the idea that he wants, wants wants us to understand here. We can stand confidently knowing that this is our Christ and we are his that's that's the idea and he says and not shrink away and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming and I and what he's saying here this what he's saying here we've already talked about this there's this group of people that are around the church that are in the church, they're the tares that grow up with it, uh, that don't know Christ, Uh, this is not talking about uh, uh, any kind of judgment at this point, it's talking about at His coming, there's going to be a bunch of people who are going to run and hide, even at the rapture, they're going to be frightened, they're going to be afraid, they're going to be ashamed, because they're suddenly going to realize they're not that that's what he's talking about here that's who's that's who he's adjust who so he's talking to those that don't know the truth uh, those whose lives are 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 simply lives that professed something they never believed or they never never fully fully put their tr- trust in uh, they're not genuine and they will face the day of judgment that's that's the that's the idea that he's expressing here so verse 28. Concludes the teaching and transitions it transitions it from from abiding in the in the uh, not that you stop doing this you add they're added two they're both both done simultaneously you uh, know he he's no longer talking about our abiding in the Holy Spirit and his teaching and his guiding and leading but here he's talking about our abiding in the confidence that we have before God as children of God which is what he's going to now introduce as we move as we as we as we begin moving into as we been as we begin moving into verse 28 uh, because he says now he says if if you know that he is righteous you know that everyone who does righteousness has been born of him that's that's his next his next thought he he says and here he gives us a condition and he gives us a conclusion, and, and it's, gonna, it's going to extend uh, through, through one through three in chapter three. Uh, he's, first of all, he gives us a condition, and here's the condition: if you know. Uh, incidentally, this is not a statement of a doubt. Uh, this is a statement of fact. That's 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 what this is. The way it's the way it's uh, the way it's uh, 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 it's the way it's written is you know this. That's that's what it's that's what it's saying. It's put this way, if you know, but it means you know. That's that's what he that's what he means. Incidentally, know is used twice in this verse. It's the same word gnosko, however, it's in a different verb tense in each one, which makes it have a different meaning. So, as as we come into it, he says, "If you know," and then he 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 goes on to say. He is righteous, you know. That's what he say, that everyone, everyone also who does righteousness has been born of him. So the first no, the first gnosko, is in the pres- is a present tense verb which means it's it's a continual, perceive something from experience. Uh, you know this. This is something you have experienced. This is something you continually know. It's an ongoing knowledge within you. It's kind of the idea here. You know it. That's That's what he's saying here. You know this. This is a solid, known fact to you. And then the second one, the second one is in the perfect tense, which means it's something... <clears throat> It's something you've learned. It's something that, that looks back to a past action, in the case of a believer. It's saving grace, of course, And, and, and it has a continuing result in the present, in the present. It's, if you know this absolutely truth that is established within you, then as you proceed through your Christian life, you come to know this. Uh, this this becomes a reality from experience from something that happened in the past and it has a continuing effect on you. That's the idea here that he's that he's wanting them to know. the the point here The point here is is John is telling them that the external evidence of obedience pli, uh, uh, supplies evidence for an internal transformation. That's what he's wanting him to say. You know this. You know the reality of coming to Christ transforms you, and you know from being a Christian by experience how that transformation is taking place, and you can see it in others. That's, that's really what he's telling them. You can observe this. You know it, and you can observe it, is, is kind of the idea that he's, that he's expressing here. In, in chapter 5, verse 20, he wrote this. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is also true. In His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Basically, he's saying, believers have this firm foundation within them. This firm knowledge is entrenched within us. That's the idea here. And we can recognize it in others, is, is the idea that he's wanting them to understand. Now, I, I will have to admit that sometimes people are pretty good fakes, and it takes a while to recognize. But nevertheless, what he's saying here is, this is true. And then he says, what is known? Well, the first thing that we know is that Christ is righteous, that God is righteous. That's that's the first thing that we know. Incidentally, this text, the, the pronouns refer to God the Father, not to Jesus. Uh, they're referring to God the Father. And why do we say that? It says because it talks about being born of Him. Nowhere in Scripture does it say we're born of Jesus. It says a lot of things about our relationship to Jesus, but not we're born of Him. Uh, scripture teaches in John 3.16 that we're born of the Word, or we're born of the Spirit. And in 1 Peter one 3 we we're born of the Word. And throughout John, his use for being born, and he gives a Proper, na- proper noun is always of the Father. 1 John 3, 9, 4, 7, 5, 1 and 5, 4. Uh, it's born of God. So he's talking about God the Father here. He's saying we're born of Him. That's that's who he's talking about, uh, and, and uh, He is righteous. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about God's righteousness in this sense, and, and righteousness is applied to God in in in, in very many uh, verses of, of Scripture. Uh, for example, in, in Deuteronomy chapter thirty-two, verses three and four, we're told that He's perfect in everything. Everything he does is totally righteous. So there's an over over encompassing, compassing righteousness to God. In Hosea fourteen nine, we're told that his ways, what he does, is always righteous. Uh, in In Psalm nineteen, in Psalms nineteen seven through eight, his word is righteous. Uh, this word is totally right. That's, that's the idea here. In, in Psalms 9, 7, and 8, His judgments are righteous. There's no error from the judicial bench of God. That's, that's, that's the idea there. And then in, in, in Isaiah forty five twenty one, He is righteous in providing salvation. His righteousness provided salvation. That's the idea. And then in 1 John 1, 1.9, he's righteous in forgiving your sin. He's, he's, he's righteous in doing all of those things. And then he relates this, rela- uh, this righteousness to believers. And, and he says, everyone who does righteous, l- righteousness, literally, doing righteousness it, it is how, it's, how it literally reads uh, it's in the process of doing it I guess you would say uh, it's construction says that uh, he's talking about a habit of doing what is right uh, it doesn't mean perfection it just means that believers in the normal course of their life do what is right doesn't mean that you don't mess up once in a while, but it means the habitual state of a believer is to do what is right. And that's the idea. You know, I think it's, it's kind of interesting. There's always this, when you, when you do something, when you mess up, when you do something, you, you, whether by accident or on purpose or whatever, but you just do something stupid. And, uh, you know, you're to blame for it. And you're confronted with it. What's the first thing that pops into your head? A story how it's not really your fault isn't it isn't that really what happens you know you come up with a story i i, I learned a lesson in this a long time ago i used to work for general telephone electronics as a, a as a garage mechanic and we we had this trailer great big old heavy duty thing that that hauled the telephone poles this pole trailer and it had uh, hubs that stuck out from the side about this far and I was bringing it down to the shop and I don't remember what for, but it needed some work and I was pulling it with one of those big huge forklifts and and I'm duly bopping i you know I was hadn't been out of the army very long and I was still full of spit and vinegar you know and i'm'm I'm, I'm coming down the coming down the road and not paying a whole lot of attention and I flipped the wheel on that forklift and spin that thing and that hub caught a Chevy van at the rear wheel, at the front of the rear wheel and ripped it open to the back of the front wheel, you know, and I thought, you know, oh, by the way, the truck wasn't for our yard. We were transporting it somewhere else. So anyhow, I had 15 scenarios for how I did this. And then I looked and I saw all the guys in the shop come running out. So I thought. uh. So I drove it down and I put it in the stall and I just sat there and waited, you know. And you could see them. None of them saw it. They were all in the shop working. It was. This happened outside, so none of them saw it. But they're all telling what happened that they didn't know, you know. So pretty soon the boss comes to me and says, "What happened?" And I said, "I hit that truck with this with this trailer." And he said, "How'd you do that?" And I said. I wasn't paying attention when I swung and I forgot about that hub that stuck out a foot and I caught it and ripped it open. And he said, oh, he got the truck fixed. And I never heard any more about it. Tell the truth. You know, just tell the truth. That's that's the bottom line. But I had 15 lies already made up. Yeah. Well, I heard everybody else telling him. I thought oh, there's only one thing I can do. Just tell what happened. Yeah. But anyway, that's it's a habit of life. You're not perfect. But when the chips are down, you tell the truth. That's that's the idea here. It's, it, it speaks of having an active pursuit of God. That's, that's the idea here. It means that when you do sin, you confess that sin. You keep your accounts short. That's how this plays out. That's how, that's how doing righteousness plays out. It's not a description of doing good deeds, but a lifestyle of a person who has been born of God. That's, that's the idea here. It's how you live your life. Not that you go about doing deeds that you think gains you merit because they don't. They can't, and they won't. It means you do right because you're born of God. That's what it means. It's a, it's a description of a lifestyle. Those born of God do what is right that's the condition, if you, if you know He is righteous, and the conclusion is, you will know those who are actually born of Him, and this introduces us to being children of God, born of Him that's the idea, that's the idea He's going to carry now into the next chapter, and cha- uh, and as we begin chapter 3 <clears throat> chapter 3, verse 1 See how great a love the Father has given us, that we would be called children of God, and we are. For this reason the world does not know us, because it does not know Him. Because it does not know Him. He address, it, here he addresses the love of God. Uh, he began this idea. This is as we've talked about the, the, the book of First John. John, not like Paul, he doesn't dedicate a chapter to something and exhaust it and then move to the next point and then exhaust it and move to the next point. John just interweaves it throughout the book. He, he brings it up, he talks about it a little bit, he introduces it, he brings it up a little bit more later on, and a little bit more, and a little bit more, and that's what he's doing here with being, with being uh, about the love of God. He began it in, verse, in chapter 2, verse 5, verse 15, uh, then again in three, uh, here in three, one, he will address it again in 10 and 17. In chapter 4, he'll do a more exhaustive talk about the love of God. A more exhaustive teaching on the love of God. Uh, but here he's going to expand on it a little bit more. He says, see how great a love. Incidentally, the word see in this verse, you probably wouldn't think this in English, but in Greek, if you were reading this, it's a command. It's a command with exaltation. That's what it is. It's a command that is filled with excitement. See? That's, that's, that's the idea here. Um, and then he goes on to, how great... Now that, that's that's the idea. There should be exclamation marks after almost each of these words. Uh, Hebert in his uh, in his commentary on the language here, he says that uh, this is a rare word, a, a, rare, a rare Greek word in the New Testament. It's actually only used seven times in the entire New Testament. And it and it, the the uh, how great that that word, not C, but how great. Sorry about that. I switched words on you. But anyway, how great, is only, it's only used, that Greek term is only used seven times in, in the New Testament. And uh, it, uh, it's a word that has no English equivalent. There really isn't an English equivalent. So it's going to be hard to explain. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, we're going to try. The implication is, is that you have a, a reaction of astonishment accompanied with admiration. That's the idea here. Uh, when you're viewing the person or whatever the thing is, uh, Hebrew said it could be translated like this: "What glorious, measureless love!" Mm. We just don't have enough English adjectives, I think. To, That's when the to amplified starts getting helpful, huh? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, it kind of gets helpful, but but you got to be careful there too, you know, because you don't want to use too many of those. But the point is, it's got a big exclamation point after it. Uh, this is astonishment. <laughs> Uh, it, it's a word of, of, of uh, admiration and uh, astonishment. See how great, you know, is, is the idea here. It's, it's, it's something beyond comprehension in a, in, a, in a very real, in fact, in a very real sense it is. The word love is agape. It's God's vol- uh, uh, volitional love uh, that he gives freely. It's uninfluenced. It's a love that cost the giver, for the benefit of the receiver. That's the the idea that goes on here. Uh, When applied to Israel, Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. Yahweh did not set His affection on you, nor, nor choose you, because you were the most in number of any of the peoples, but you were the fewest of the people. But because Yahweh loved you, and kept the oath which He swore to your fathers. Yahweh brought you out with a strong hand, and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And then, of course, in John, he talks about it to the church in chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, where he says, But by this the love of God was manifest in us, that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, so that He might live through Him. And in this love... and in this love not that we love god but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin this is the idea here this is the concept of this love in other words it's a love that cost god for our benefit that that's that's the idea he's 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 wanting us to understand and he says he's has given to us. He gave it to us. It was a free gift of His love. That's the idea here. It was it was an act of both mercy, love, and grace. All of those all of those are combined in this in this uh, in this uh, in this in this word. Uh, that's what He did, uh, and it and the result is the result of this love is that we are called the children of God. That's what He says. The result of this glove that God placed upon us, that He paid the price for, resulted in us being called His children. That's 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 what that's what He's telling us here. Uh, he, He's he's brought us into His family. It is eternal saving grace that resulted in our adoption into His his family. uh, Romans 8, 16. This word called is an, is, uh, an interesting Greek word because it means your name or your identification. That's what it's talking about. Or how you are known. That's how this word applies. So in other words, what he's saying is, your name is children of god your identity is that of children of god you will be known as children of god that's that's what he's that's what he's saying here that's what he's wanting us to understand and he's and he's lavished this on us completely undeserved he did it for his own purpose and by his own will and then he goes on to say and then he makes it he affirms it he says <clears throat> He says, called you children of God. And you are. And we are. That's what he's saying here. Uh, that's a statement of fact. Uh, that's, that's what he's saying. And you are. Not only are you are called children of God, but that's who you are by the work and decree of God himself. Uh, th- that's the idea here. You're not, you don't just call yourself that. God calls you that. That's the idea. That's who you are. Uh, you, we are. And then he says, the world does not know us. That's the first thing he says. He says, the world does not know us. And he tells us why. He says, the world doesn't know us as children of God, that's the idea here, they don't, he does, the world doesn't understand that position, doesn't understand what that identity means, doesn't understand the full impact of that identity and that name, they, they can't understand that, they have no comprehension of it, and he says, the reason they don't, is because they have no comprehension of who God is, they don't know him, they don't have a reality of who God is, If they have a God, he's a God that wants some kind of work done to earn merit and favor. I've told you about my younger brother. He's a great guy. I mean, if you look up his name, you're going to see this list of boards he's on. You know, the Shriners Hospital. uh, He's a trustee of Cal State. uh, On and on and on, you know. But he's doing all of it because he thinks that gains him points with God. He doesn't know him. You know, he just doesn't know him. And he can't get through. He told me, I'm not afraid to die. I think I've got the scales balanced. Doesn't know. That's the problem. He can't understand. He doesn't understand my thinking because he doesn't know the God I serve. That, that's the bottom line. And the God he serves doesn't exist. That's, that's the sad part. That's what he's saying here. The first thing he tells us, you're children of God. And that's who you are. That's your identity. If you you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation, you are a child of God. That's your identity. That's your name. That's how you will be known. And then he goes on in verse 2 of chapter 3. He says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not been manifest yet what we will be, We know that when He is manifest, we will be like Him, because we'll see Him as He is. And here's a powerful promise. Here's this great and powerful promise. He points us to the future now, to the completion of our salvation, to to when we are going to be fully transformed into the image of Christ. Uh, that's the goal in sanctification, is becoming more and more like Christ, but it does have a terminus point uh, when we see Him. That's what this is promising us. Uh, that our journey, our pilgrimage for this life, does have a conclusion. It does have a point where we reach the goal, the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus, as Paul called it. He says we, we reach that point. Ch- uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 Verses, starting at verse 49. And just as, we, uh, and just as we, we have bore the image of the earthly, we also bear the image of the heavenly. Now I say this, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does, does the corruption inherit the incorruptible. Behold I tell you a mystery we will not all sleep but we will but we will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will rise incorruptible and we will be changed for this corruption must put on incorruptibility and this mortal must put on immortality that's the transformation that he's talking about here that's that's that instant and he says beloved John, once again, he's, this is another one of his terms, rather than little children here, he's, he's calling them beloved, because they are. That, that's the point. Uh, they're, they're, they're beloved. They're beloved by John, but more importantly, they're beloved by God. And he, he's focusing on that here. And he says, the result is that now we are the children of God, as he just said in the, first, as the other verse, that's your identity. You are the children of God. And he's he's saying, that is current, but there's more to come. Mm -hmm. Uh, The current is, you are children of God, currently, but there's more to come. Uh, There's more, or as... For those of you who are old enough to remember who this guy is, and this quote, Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story. For those of you who are too young, he was an old news commentator. But anyway, he made some interesting deals, and he always used that phrase there's more to come here's the rest of the story he told great stories his work in us is not yet complete that's the rest of the story it's not complete there's more to it it has not been manifest as yet as to what we will be that's the next thing he says we haven't reached if you're breathing you haven't reached that state You're you're still in process if you will is the idea here, he says. But we know that when He appears, or He is manifest, depending on the version you're using, that word means the same thing, uh, When basically it's saying when Jesus comes, when He comes for us, uh, when we see Him, we will be like Him, because we will see Him just as He is. We will see Him in His glorified state. That's the idea here. We will see the glorified Christ, in all His glory, in all of His radiance, and we will be changed, as Corinthians said. Corruptibility will have to go away. Mortality will have to go away. We have to become incorruptible and immoral. or not immoral. You know what I mean. Live forever. <laughs> got my words got my words twisted and couldn't get my brain straight. Uh, but at any rate, at any rate, uh, those those things those things are are uh, are going to happen those changes are going to come about uh, that Paul talked about in first Corinthians uh, but we got more verses too 2 Corinthians second Corinthians chapter 3 verse 18 but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. This is the sanctification process he's talking about here. He says, being transformed in, uh, into the same image from glory to glory, just, uh, just as from the Lord the Spirit. And basically he's talking about when that process is complete. And then he, then he goes on um, Philippians. Philippians chapter 3, verse 21. Ah. who will transform the body of our humblest state into conformity with his body of his glory by the working through which he is able to even subject all things to himself in other words he will complete that transformation and then in Colossians chapter, chapter 3 verse 4 he says this when Christ who is our life is manifest then you also will be manifest with him in glory uh, that's what he's talking about here. Uh, this is this is that 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 time, that sudden instant when he comes for us. Now understand something. This is not Mormonism. You're not going to become a little god. You will never be equal to God, but but you will be like Him in in your existence. Uh, you will never be equal to Him uh, in any way. God is always supreme. Revelation 21 through 22. That's not the teaching here. The teaching is we will be incorruptible like Him. We will share in His glory. We will, we will be a part of the family. We will be fit for Heaven, is the idea that's being expressed here. He makes us fit for our true home. That's, that's what He's wanting us to understand here. And then in verse 3, He goes on and he says, he says this, And everyone who has his hope fixed on Him purifies himself just as he is pure. And everyone, all believers who have put their trust in Jesus Christ, who have this hope fixed on Him, the topic of Christ uh, uh, coming, our eternal, our, uh, our eternal, complete, unhindered fellowship with Him, produces a growing desire to become more like Him in this life. Paul put it this way in Galatians chapter two, verse twenty. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I live, but Christ that lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by, the, by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. That's, that's the idea. That's how we're to live our lives, in that, in that view. That's what, that's what Paul, that's what he's saying here. We fix our hope, and our hope is not some, gee, I wish this will happen. That's a promised reality that, will, that cannot not happen. If I can use the double negative, Uh, it it will happen. That's the idea here. Hope is the essence of Christ's likeness, seeing him as he is. Hope is is a confident expectation based upon his word. Hebrews Hebrews 10.23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. The only uncertainty is the time of our consummation. That's the only, answer. the only thing we don't know is when. We know what's going to happen. We just don't know when. That's the idea here. And he, I, I'm convinced that everybody who sets dates, you know, that it will never happen on that date. That's my personal conviction. God won't let it happen on that day because he's not going to let that guy be proved right because he wasn't supposed to do that. But anyway, so so you can probably be assured if somebody says it's going to happen on February 10th, uh, 2024, and I'm not setting that date, but it, but anyway, if somebody, somebody sets that date and says it, it won't happen that day. That's, that's my personal conviction, at any rate. And here he says Jesus is a, to be our focal point. That's the idea. That's what he's wanting us to understand. We're to be fixed on him. That's that's the idea here. Hebrews twelve twelve. Uh, after the after giving this long chapter eleven of all the heroes of faith, he, he 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 the the author tells us to fix our sights on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. That's that's the idea. That's what he's wanting us here. To make Christ our focal point. Be fixed on him. He's the one we're to be looking to. He's the one we're to trust. He's the one we're looking for. That's that's the idea here. John then makes another statement of fact. There's no wishy-washy about this. Everyone who has this hope purifies himself. It's not a wish, maybe purified. It's not a possibility that He may purify, and it's not a command uh, that we ought to purify, but it's a positive. It says, that hope purifies. That's, that's what He's saying here. You want to live a pure life? Have your hope fixed on Jesus Christ. The, the imminent expectation of His coming. That's, that's what He's calling us to here. 1 Corinthians Chapter 7, verse 1, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. That's that's what this will do. That's the idea that he's calling us to here. And then he goes on to say, Just as he is pure, chapter 1, verse 7, we were told, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And in chapter 2, verse 6, he told us, Whoops. The one who says he abides in him ought, to, ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. John is stressing moral purity, spotlessness sinlessness, which every believer is to demonstrate by living a holy life. That's, that's what he's calling us to. He isn't call, he does, he, he, throughout this life, there is no perfection. That's why 1 John one nine is there. But the point is, we strive to live holy lives, reflecting Christ in us. And when we do mess up, we keep our accounts short and go to him immediately. That, that's, that's the idea. That's the habitual life of a believer. The habitual spiritual reality of how a child of God is to demonstrate he's a child of God. That's, that's the idea. That's what he's wanting us to understand. And Jesus says, who's the standard? Jesus Christ, our Lord. Any comments or questions this morning? Let's close. Father God, as we, uh, as we uh, have looked into these verses this morning, we, we ask that, uh, that truly uh, the anointing of your Spirit that you talked about in the previous chapter uh, would come upon us and, and make the reality of the truths of these words, your words, a part of our lives. Uh, that our lives would be consistent with our faith. Uh, that we would walk in a manner that is worthy of the Christ who called us, that we would be at home with him as your children. And that would reflect into the world who doesn't even know who we are, but they can see the difference and know there is something there that is different. Father, we just, we just ask that we would live lives expecting the any moment return of our, of our Lord Jesus, and that we would live our lives in that manner and therefore glorify you and give all the praise and glory to your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen.